When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I just want to say a large part of why we started this podcast was hopefully to get big enough to eventually interview Brandon Sanderson. That, was that the is the ultimate goal. Reason. That is the, the ultimate goal of this entire endeavor. This is a con to get to Sanderson. <laughs> <laughs> that, I didn't think yeah. you got the ruse out that early. Nah, it's <laughs> the long con. It's the open long con. That's what it is. I, I've forgotten Christmas gifts. Wow. My family almost forgot Christmas. What's a gift when life is meaningless? I mean, I just wanted breakfast. <laughs> I was food. Two, food two different become directions. A, nah, nah. Food is more important. I thought, that, I thought that's a joke you were going with. But oh yeah, breakfast too. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Tudor Ramble. This is going to be an entire episode dedicated to... My personal favorite author. Can I extend that to you as well? He, yeah. He, current favorite alive author. This is Brandon Sanderson. It's not just going to be about his works, which we will talk deeply about. We're going to talk about everything he's published, uh, how he got the publishing. It's going to be a bio about Sanderson. I think that we're going to mention a lot of cool facts back and forth that each other didn't mm-hmm. know, and hopefully you guys didn't know. Find out a lot of cool stuff about him, what he's done outside of writing. And of course, we're, re- we're going to dig into what he's actually written and why he's so awesome and why we love him. This is a Brandon Sanderson dedication video episode podcast. Yeah, Hopefully, this will be a series of deep dives into our to authors that we read and directors that will watch uh, their movies and in, look into their lives. So uh, let us know in the comments below what... Uh, what director or author that we should kind of do a deep dive into next. That Yeah, that would be awesome because maybe we'll do something on a director where it's we watch yeah. their movies and do a deep dive. But let's get right into it. Let's do it. And we'll start from the very beginning. Brandon Sanderson was born. No, okay, we're not going to start the beginning, beginning. <laughs> the beginning of his writing journey, he was 14 years old when a teacher gave him a copy of, have you heard of Dragon's Bane? I have not. So What's dra- that one's about? Dragon's Bane. Didn't do the research on what it was about. <laughs> <laughs> but Dragon's Bane is a book. Off to the great start. It exists. I swear it gets more detailed after this. I, I, I missed out there. <laughs> Dragon's Bane was the first book he ever read. And maybe that means we should read it. We should put it on our list. Yeah, maybe. Not first book, sorry. First fantasy book. That's what got him started. Yeah. Age 14. And after that, he was just reading everything he could and eventually started writing on his own. Which, by the way, his first book idea, he was 16 years old. Do you know what his first book idea was? Which one was that? It was a story of a brother of an assassinated king. Ah, there we go. Stormlight Archives. Stormlight Archives. And that's not really a spoiler. It's, you'll see it's right away. It's not even from the, it's not even, act, it's an inspiration. It's not yeah. actually the story, so. Yes, and, and it was, that's the inspiration. That was his first idea, and that maybe festered in his mind and led to Stormlight Archives, which is his magnus opus, right? Yeah. Magnum opus. Magnum opus. You got me. <laughs> See, you always correct me about grammar. This time I get to correct you. That was well-deserved. Yeah. <laughs> that was very much well-deserved. And then going on, he went to college in 1994 to BYU as a biochemistry major. Mm-hmm. His mother wanted him to become a doctor. 
His mother failed him. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, he, now he makes money. <laughs> exactly. His mother loves him now. <laughs> in, in 1994, he went to BYU, but from 50, 95 to 97, he actually uh, is a, he's a Mormon. Mm-hmm. So the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, he went on missionary work in Korea, in South Korea, obviously, in Seoul. And while he was in Seoul, he realized he didn't miss chemistry whatsoever. He missed writing. So he went, okay, if I want to have an enjoyable life, I need to go back and start writing. So he did, and he took a job as a night desk clerk. The only reason he took that night shift job was because they let him write during the job. So he'd go to school during the day, write at night, pump out novels. And by the time he finished his undergrad, so just four years, I assume he took a four-year undergrad, he wrote seven novels. <laughs> How, uh, what chapter are you on? Four. On chapter not, four. not four novels, four, chapter four. <laughs> like four chapters, <laughs> like maybe 10,000 words. <laughs> I'm, not even, I'm not even done with chapter one, so you're, you're, you're ahead of me. <laughs> but he, up to that point, he had seven books done in his undergrad and continued, and eventually he wrote 13 full novels. And I, I'm sure you've heard this fact, right? He wrote oh, 13 yeah. novels before anything got published. I mean, can you imagine like chugging through and act, not just writing, but going through the publishing process and actually trying to pitch them, and 13 of your novels are rejected? And the, I, the, That speaks to his mentality. That, that shows you how passionate he is about writing. Yeah. And the, the biggest reason, generally, that he got back from uh, editors or whatnot, whoever he sent it to, Agents, I think editors typically do do so, but the biggest feedback he got was it needs to be grittier. Because at the time of him sending all that, it was a big Game of Thrones. The Game of Thrones books were doing really well. Mm-hmm. And the feedback he got was it's not gritty enough. Interestingly huh. enough, yeah. And then, I would imagine that would conflict with his Mormon faith a little bit. Possibly, which I, I read the books before I knew he was Mormon. So I don't know. It, I haven't noticed his faith bleeding through. His his series, but we'll we'll get into we'll de- yeah. dive deep when we get into his specific books he's published. Mm-hmm. So he volunteered at the BYU's fantasy club, which was the leading edge, and became the editor in chief in his senior year. And from there, he oh by the way, quick fun fact: one of Brandon Sanderson's roommates in college was Ken Jennings, the guy from Jeopardy, wasn't it? The, yes, the guy who was uber successful in Jeopardy, seventy-four game winning streak. Okay. Ken Jennings, yeah, he he dominated <laughs> until that gambling guy, which I forget his name, but he he has a yeah. long last name. I don't follow Jeopardy too closely, yeah. but I know Ken Jennings, and you know Ken Jennings. Yeah, Ken no, Jennings I, is good. I at least remember him. Uh, so Sanderson was actually uh, with Ken Jennings. Sanderson was actually asked one time why or how are you able to write such genius and smart and witty characters, and his answer was basically, well. Ken Jennings was a roommate of mine, and he can think of that stuff instantly. I can fake it by waiting 50 hours before I come up with something funny or witty. Then I write it in the book. So he's faking his, <laughs> he's faking his genius, which it's a, it shows his humility, which is great. Love him, Sanderson. Oh, what a guy. But okay, yeah, um, I guess we can go to a bit more of his works as is currently what he's doing. So after... He got his first book published, uh, Elantris. Elantris, which was the sixth book in that 13 books that he wrote. Yeah. It was the sixth one he sent out. From what I understand, the way he actually got it published is his, he got, he took a class about the business of writing, some something along those lines about like the business side of writing. And his teacher, his professor told him to go to conventions and 
talk with network with those people there, talk with editors. And he went with, uh, I believe his buddy, Dan Wells, another famous author. Yep. Uh, and they went to, uh, fantasy conventions. And at one of them, he met his current editor and another person. So his current editor and publisher, uh, at the convention who eventually published Elantris. I believe that editor recently retired. I believe his name's Mosh Fetter. And okay. I didn't know the name that. So he, he was the person who he met at the convention mm-hmm. and Mosh Fetter basically said about him, Oh, you seem so nice. And so he didn't want to reject Sanderson immediately. So he kind of shelved his book on the back burner and didn't get back to Sanderson for 18 months. And then Damn. finally got back and Sanderson was like, Oh, Lantris isn't going anywhere. I didn't get anything back. And the way Fetter, sorry, Fetter got back to him was Sanderson actually changed all of his contact info, his, he stopped using the AOL that he gave Fetter 18 months ago. He got a new phone so and a new phone number. So the only way Fetter was able to contact Sanderson is he went on to Sanderson's BYU undergrad page, mm-hmm. which Sanderson did update his new phone number. Then he left uh, left Sanderson a voicemail essentially saying, Hi, I don't know if this is the right Brandon Sanderson, but if it is, you sent me a manuscript about 18 months ago, and I finally started looking at it last night. I got a few hundred pages into it, and I knew I had to call you to make sure it's available. Because I think I want to buy it. And that sealed the deal. Damn. Got, get a random voicemail and then just imagine if it's that your book's about to get published. It changed his life. Changes his life completely. Yeah. And then from there, he quit his graveyard shift job, started writing for a living. And that's how we got all of these wonderful books a from whole, Brandon Sanderson. What, eighth of my shelf is Sanderson? Hopefully it'll be more eventually. Yes. Hopefully it will because it's well-deserved and... Let's start with you've read a lot of his series and yeah, his his Magnus. Let, let's I look. I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I've read sixteen of his works, wow. and that's not including the novellas. Okay, so that, it's not counting like Edge Dancer. Yeah, no, I, I didn't count the novellas. I, I've I've read all the novellas as well. So, well, let's start with the OG Mist, Mistborn. Mistborn, yeah. the Final Empire, correct? Was the that was his second book ever published right after Elantris? Yeah. Um, and you've read that series? Yeah, I've read Elantris and Mistborn, and I've only read the Era One of Mistborn. Uh, I was a little too emotionally attached to, to those characters that I didn't want to go on to a, a series that was like different characters, oh. which is Era Two. So. Interesting. I don't think that's... Spo- they're different characters on the cover. I don't think that's a spoiler. <laughs> like, oh, look, the cover has different people. Anyway, so I still haven't read that yet. That's still in the chamber. I'm going to be reading that. But what Sanderson really knocked out of the park with Mistborn is kind of a unique feel of a more gritty fantasy that is noir feeling it's a dystopic future type stuff with uh poor like clearly clearly the oh this used to be technologically advanced but now it's not and then the one of the best magic systems ever put to page or hopefully eventually film i'm i'm hopeful for that but what he does a great job with is his main character is actually a you know, female main character lead, which is pretty rare in mainstream fantasy. And he did a great job, great job with it, which is worth noting because <laughs> yeah. it's not done very well right. often. So let's see. Yeah, they, I think he was 
talking with somebody about um, writing and his idea for Mistborn was just combining two things he liked. So he was like, you know, I like fantasy, but I also like heist movies. So he made a heist. uh, So he combined fantasy and heist. I'd imagine he was talking with Dan Wells because Dan Wells loves. Yeah. I've heard stuff where he loves heists as well. So it's it's a magical heist, right? Yeah. It's a magical heist uh, book. Awesome. But um, yeah, there's some great emotional moments to it. The the thing that Brandon Sanderson does so well is make you really care about the characters. He makes really empathetic characters that you just get attached to, like that. Yep. And so, great emotional moments. Not as high as Stormlight has been, but really great. So if you're thinking of reading Brandon Sanderson and you don't know where to start, and you think that the Stormlight books are a little too thick and you don't want to get too invested um i would start with mistborn uh, mistborn's a great start it's a little shorter it's a trilogy already out and i would start there awesome and that first book mistborn the final empire mm-hmm. led to him landing finishing the wheel of time series because robert jordan's wife harriet read mistborn the final empire was so impressed by it uh, sent sent an email or con- contacted Sanderson and said, "Yeah, you you need to finish this series." Well, it's actually not not exactly true. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So after Robert Jordan's death, uh, yeah. Brandon Sanderson wrote a eulogy uh, talking about yes. how important yep. uh, the Wheel of Time was to him as an author, as just a reader, a fan. It's one of the series that got him into loving books and wanting to write. And so he wrote a, a really great eulogy. Yeah. And Harriet, uh, Robert Jordan's uh, wife, saw that and was really moved by it. Then, then read, read Mistborn. Then read Got Mistborn it. and thought Got he would it. be a good fit to actually finish. Awesome. So it was, she read the eulogy, which was just very heart t- heartfelt. And that led her to reading Mistborn. Yes. Impressed by the man, impressed by the writing, had to finish the series. Yeah. And Makes sense. the most impressive thing is Wheel of Time is such a was such an important series for a lot of people. It's a huge American fantasy series. Um, and it, it's, it's hard to please the fans. And most people tend to agree across the fandom that Brandon Sanderson is, on, is only second to Robert Jordan himself. Like The only person who could finish Wheel of Time better would be Robert Jordan. That's the only person. And... He he did just a fantastic job being able to finish. So, and th- this is what rose into prominence is as soon as he landed Wheel of Time, that's where he became a name. So he didn't just have Elantris, he didn't just have Mistborn. He now was finishing the legendary Wheel of Time series. And as a person who has read the full Wheel of Time series, do you think and do you see that Brandon Sanderson did it justice? And what are your feelings on? I know Robert Jordan. Your feelings on? Yeah, you should share that. He's your favorite of all time, greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Sanderson did a good job in finishing the series? I I think so. There's there's of course some like there's some moments and there's some elements of the final three books that you can tell it's not Robert Jordan. Um, there's one of the main one of the main characters. Uh, Matt, he just doesn't get right in the first book that he wrote. Okay, but by the second and then the last book, he got it pretty well. And even Sanderson acknowledged that. 
right. he knew he just didn't get the feel right for him. But the fact that it was a overall satisfying conclusion where there's only a couple th- plot threads that are just not as satisfying or just he he did an amazing job. I, I'm it's such a huge series with so many different plot points and so many different avenues that and things that needed to be uh, tied up. It, it was a Herculean task, and he was able to pull it off. It that's fantastic. Very impressed with him. And the, he was asked by some interviewer why he was why fans should trust that he's going to finish this correctly. And one of his he mentioned on the side he was like, well, of course I, I am a professional writer. I may be a professional writer in fantasy, and I may be a mega fan of the series and has read the first few, couple books six five six times over. But the biggest reason is Harriet chose him. For the job. Robert Jordan's editor and wife chosen for the job. Yeah. She saw she saw that in him and seems like he did, uh, ex- would you say, exceeded expectations for the task he was oh, given. Certainly. He, he got his ego especially out of the way. Amazing. For, for the most part. Um, like you would think a lot of authors would want to inject a bit of their own and make it theirs. Right. But Ro- uh, Robert Jordan left extensive notes on how he wanted the, the final... Uh, final book. I heard some of his notes were longer than some novels. It, I think his total notes is like maybe half or the entire Wheel of Time. So yeah, it, it's wow. several million, like I think two million words or something of wow. notes. And so... I think Robert Sand- Jordan deserves his own episode as well. We'll have to... Eventually. Once once you get started, I think we'll, yeah. I think we'll get into it. But uh, Robert Jordan wrote a lot of the important scenes... Uh, for a memory of light, and so Sanderson mainly had to connect those important scenes and then use the notes to fill in the spots that Robert Jordan talked about. There's there's quite a bit of originality, but it the path was laid for Sanderson, uh, plot wise and character wise, and a lot of the really big scenes were written by Robert Jordan right. already done. Got it. So it, it's a good combination. Terrific. And mm-hmm. then we have Sanderson, his magnus opus. Right? Did I say that right that time? Magnum opus. Why do I do that? Mag- Magnum, like, you know. A- I'm thinking of Magnus Carlson. So, <laughs> Mag- 47. You know, yeah. Magnum. Ma- Magnum opus is Stormlight Archives. Yeah. And he is four books into it. it. The very first published was The Way of Kings in 2010. Where, where do we begin with this legendary series? I mean, it got me to write. It got me to read. I mean, and yeah. want to write. Yes. And again, the, the thing that he brings to the table, the, the reason why you would want to read uh, Stormlight Archive, first and foremost, is the characters. You empathize with them. But it's also one of the best representations of mental illness that I've read, that I've really come across. Uh, how he depicts depression, anxiety, PTSD. Um, alcoholism, alcoholism, um, uh, disassociation disorder, um, parallel to none. So, and this series now we have Way of Kings, uh, Roar of Radiance, Oathbringer, and Rhythm of War. Fifth book, he's in the process already. The yeah. prologue slash prelude's already out there, I believe. He he posted that little snippet. Mm-hmm. Fifth book's coming out. This is going to be a a 10-book epic, which the first five are on the characters we know, and the other five will be on different characters, kind of like what he did with Mistborn. 
right? With the the first three being a certain saga. Yeah. The last three, yeah. So fantastic. Just if if you are ready to read epic fantasy and want to dive into Sanderson's best work, it's right here. The, it's the Stormlight Archives. I, I will actually give, I'll give a Stormlight Archive a certain praise of. When it comes to glory moments, the the moments in a book that make you want to stand up and cheer. Yes. When you're just rooting, you're just pumping your hands up and you're rooting, you're screaming, yeah, go. Like, you're just so excited. Let's go. Those moments, first and foremost, it goes Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, I think, has some of those best epic glory moments. Thank you, by the then, way. Lord of the Rings must yeah. be mentioned every episode. Followed by that, uh, for me, Wheel of Time. Okay. And a very close third, Stormlight Archive. I don't, I can't really think of any other book that comes close to those type of glory moments that has gotten me to stand up and out loud cheer in an empty room while reading a book by myself. And it's only happened in those three That's, series. That makes my heart squirm. I've done the same thing. Dude. Oh no, I've I've heard when you finished a book, like yeah. I heard upstairs, like. Yeah, I'm like, oh, he's at that part in the book. Got it. <laughs> and he's not behind anyone that's minuscule. He's behind only Tolkien and Robert Jordan in your mind. I think that's a good. Yeah, it's like not being as fast as Usain Bolt. You know, I, I think I think Sanderson can uh, can suffer the humiliation yeah. of being behind both Tolkien and uh, Robert Jordan. I don't know how he's going to handle that, but I don't know. I don't think he could. But <laughs> and something that Sanderson himself said on why. Uh, what kind of writer is Sanderson? I, I asked myself this. He actually answered it at one point. He, so oh. he said, "How does this is how Sanderson describes his own writing style. Number one, a complex plot with plenty of twists and turns that come to an explosive climax. The Sanderson avalanche. Yeah. So he's pretty much explained the Sanderson avalanche that's become famous with all of his books that mm-hmm. you've read from him as well. All of the books typically have a a climax toward the last so forth pages of the book that's just one huge thing after the other and motion emotion 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 yeah so basically every yeah every basically one of his books everyone. yeah and number two he has an imaginative uh, an imaginative magic system and setting that feels both real and wondrous at the same time yeah for the most part and number three deeply personal characters dealing with issues that transcend genre yep that's pretty good and the the only thing I would add on to that is I think he is such a pinnacle of what I would call modern writing, like modern fantasy and modern writing style, yes. where the words are, how he writes is definitely understanding. It's not using a lot of fancy poetry. The dialogue is witty, but on the surface witty. Um, there's not this kind of like deep undertone meanings between it where um a lot of dialogue is veiled in mystery and poetic uh things where you don't really understand like you understand at every point through the book what's being said so i would say he's like from what i think of in modern writing for uh, fiction he doesn't have purple prose yeah yeah what when you read it it's just so easy to read it's so natural and it's so fun to be fair that is not a dig Oh, not Sanderson. at all. Like not I like easy to read prose. Like yeah. sometimes I just kind of want to understand everything that's going on, and it it's fast paced. Like I just run through it. There's other stuff where like I can't sit down and read Tolkien just like nonstop. 
it, it's difficult. You got to digest that. You have to digest it. You have to. I had to re reread certain parts oh, because, wow. like, you know, you read it and go, "Oh, I I think I missed something," and I have to go back and like reread and really kind of absorb it. And in some ways, Robert Jordan as well. There's parts, but not not to the same extent. But Brandon Sanderson, I could tear through. And he actually learned from Robert Jordan his big philosophy of characters first, everything else comes second. Yeah. That's and certainly I, true with I mean, book after book, would you say that the characters are the best part about each book? Yeah, characters followed closely by uh magic system. Yeah, as great as imaginative as magic systems are, the foundation is you just care so much for these characters. He has mm-hmm. and his word count for his books are on average like the size of three novels for other even fantasy authors. His Stormlight Archive series, there's so much in there and it's so it's necessary. As long as the book is, it makes you love that character so much so that when it does come to that Brandon Sanderson avalanche, you it's euphoric. That's yeah. the best way I could describe it. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll actually go into the last uh, series that I've actually read, which is the Cytoverse. So it's just attack the on Cytoverse. Yeah, so that is his um, that is his sci-fi like purely kind of sci-fi. Uh, book that he he and oh sorry if i'm ignorant on this is this I'll forget i it. thought it was a sky skyward is that part oh, of this yeah so skyward series yeah is takes place in the cytoverse okay so I the see. cytoverse is not the cosmere cosmere right they are completely separate okay so because cosmere is kind of his multiverse of where yeah stormlit archive story happens here and also mistborn they're in the same multiverse Cytoverse yeah. uh, right. is not in the same multiverse. No, I mean the, the Stormlight Archives and Mistborn are in the same Cosmere. Yes. And then Skyward is in the Cytoverse mm-hmm. with other books that he's working on. Apparently he has some other things okay. planned for that universe. But cool. it's a sci-fi uh, book that also has a female-led protagonist. Um, very, very good series. The character, it, it's more, more solidly in the YA fantasy group. But I I very much enjoyed it. So awesome. like, it's definitely enjoyable for people who are normally into more adult fantasy. So, right. um, yeah. The I I think the dialogue, the characters were very charming. the The action is fun. Sci fi. It's awesome. has the fun aspect of fantasy action, but sci fi. It's a lot of ba- uh you know spaceships fighting. So cool. Yeah. The, there's a definitely quite a f- oh, that was the thing. They're memorable characters that stick out, but they still feel they still fill in the archetypical roles. That's what I've enjoyed. Hmm. Is there's definitely archetypical characters, but he makes them stand out enough that I really do care about them. Like I don't mind that they're you know, oh, this is the the cold one. This is the uh the nerdy one who grows a backbone kind of thing. Like, yeah, they're archetypes, but they're charming in their own way. That's terrific. And you've read Warbreaker as well, right? Uh, we've both yeah. read. Is Warbreaker? I believe he's ma- uh, creating a second novel he on is. top of that. So or it, apparently, it will be a series. But the standalone as it is right now, Warbreaker was also a really fun book. Yeah, it was really fun. And the magic system again is just—it's a simple concept that he dives deep into and really gets into 
making the world so realized, which we'll get into Sanderson's Laws of Magic as well. But let's finish up with some of his other mm-hmm. other big works. So you, oh, Skyward I, was... I Yes. So Skyward was really good. Really good? I okay. read the trilogy. He's working on the fourth one. I think he's finished with the first draft of the fourth one as no, of yeah. recording. Knowing him will be out tomorrow. So. Yeah. You can't keep up with, you know. Not at all. He, he writes faster than I can read. So... <laughs> But no, uh, so that's a really, uh, really good series. He um, co he created, but he didn't write uh, the Dark One, which is a graphic novel that I read. I quite liked it. Awesome. I could tell it's not Sanderson himself, but like it's a cool concept. Yep. But it wasn't written by him, so I don't know if there's going to be a series. But I quite enjoyed that. Because he has two graphic novels, right? The yep. Dark One and Something One. There's another one out there. Oh, White Sands. White Sands, okay. I wanted to order it, but they are very expensive. Ah. And then by the time I could get the Omnibus edition, it was already sold out. I missed my chance, so. Oh, oh well. Okay. Sad to me. There, There's also a couple other series that he wrote uh, that I have not read yet. Um, I may read them, I don't know. Okay. But they're more children's books of, like, Alcatraz and the librarians, the librarians of Alcatraz, something. Alcatraz then, versus the evil librarians. Yeah. Uh, then there's uh, Steelheart, I believe, series. Steelheart. He has so many. It's, in, it's incredible. Infinity and, Blade. It's another yeah, one, apparently. There's a couple others. And so. The Reckoners? Have you heard of the Reckoners? I heard that's also, I believe, uh, children's, okay. children's book. Or children's like, or like YA, you mean? Young YA. Yeah, so almost middle grade? I think so. Oh, wow. I, I'm. Pretty sure. Yeah, we're we're more loose on the his smaller things that we haven't read, like the Reckoners and. Yeah, so uh, maybe eventually I'll get to it, but. But yeah. as a Sanderson fans, what would you say is the first book to start off with Mistborn? Would that be the correct way? Yeah, if you're if you're not uh, a huge reader or you're not uh, you haven't read a lot of fantasy, start with Mistborn. If you're ready to take on a you know a big challenge, jump right on into. Uh, the way of kings. Like if you're already like you love uh, Dune, you love uh, Lord of the Rings, you love Game of Thrones, just jump right into uh, you know Stormlight Archive. I think the fans would generally agree that Stormlight Archives is his best work. Yeah, as well, and definitely on Goodreads. Interestingly enough, the best of the series, I believe, is Words of Radiance, the second book in the series. Mm. And to me, it's. A, a difference without uh, without much matter. They're just all. They're all great. They're just all great in their own way. My personal favorite is Oathbringer, although Rhythm of War, I'm on chapter 60-something, so I'll be done with that by the time this episode comes up. I So maybe that will change. It's close. I'm de- I am I uh, am personally between uh, the third and fourth being my favorite. I don't know which one. So it gets better and better for you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, th- so that is his work. As an author, and as much as his work as an author is amazing and he's changed the game and his writing's beautiful, honestly, his work outside of directly the books he's made is arguably more impactful to the world and personally more impactful to me is the things that he does outside of writing itself. Yeah, He does so much for the writing community and does so much for his readers, that helps a ton. The most famous of those being he on his website 
literally goes and shows all of his works that he's working on, whether he's on the first draft, second draft, uh, whether it's on the first editing phase, second editing phase, and he shows the percentage bar completed for each one of his books. So you can constantly see, oh, I really want the next Skyward book to come out. Let me check. Oh, wow, he's 75% done with edit number three. Yeah. He keeps the fan in such a loop, and the reason why I think he does it is he's a fan of fantasy himself. And I bet he was going like, oh, I wish my favorite authors I would actually, update me on this. I actually was hearing he, he was talking about that ex, that exact thing where he always wished he knew what his favorite authors were working on and if the book was coming out. And so he always wished that his favorite authors had a progress bar. So he yes. knew when to, when they pick up the next book. And so that's why he decided to do it himself when he became an author. Do you ever find yourself going and seeing, oh, how close is he to finishing oh, Stormlight yes. 5? Yes, I have. Frequently. <laughs> There's a feed on Twitter where an account's dedicated to just showing the progress bar on oh, his novels, and I just watched that all day. <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, he started in 2021, he started weekly updates on his YouTube channel mm-hmm. to where every week he just updates on what he's doing, uh, what what news he has about his books. It could be about his cons, which we'll talk about as well. Just They're typically just like a minute or two minute videos, but they're... That's all. I, I always like well, watching. I think they're longer just... than that typically oh no his weekly updates well uh, some uh, maybe one or two are pretty long but if it's not much going on even if there's like not much went on that week he's still just a minute just checking in hey i completed this i did this i did this see you next week cool i love those videos it's great yep it honestly it makes me as a far more invested consumer of his content yeah like i'm just gonna always stick around because he is like I, I can rely on him actually producing content. So I'm I'm never going to feel like, oh, why should I be invested if the author isn't? Which Not, has happened several times for a couple different series. Are you throwing a dig at Patrick Ruffus and George R. R. Martin? Yes. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, that's big reason why I won't read the second book in um uh what's King Killer Chronicles. Uh, I have not read. Um, King uh, the name is that the name of the wind. Name of the wind is the first book in the King Killer Chronicles. Huh. Um, door like Stone of Tears or Doors of Stone, something. Like that. I, that's the okay. That's the second. Whatever the second book is called, I won't read it. One, I didn't like the first book, but two, I don't think he's ever going to release the third. So why am I going to read a series that's not going to be ever completed? Same thing with Game of Thrones. Like, I'm not going to read Game of Thrones because why, I don't want to get invested in something that's never going to be completed. That That's fair. That's completely fair. And I'm, yeah, I'm willing to say that too. Just if you're, you got to trust that the author is as passionate and is as on top of and is going to complete and has the track record. No one does that like Sanderson does. And as yeah. much as I, I haven't read The Name of the Wind, I know it's prose is supposedly phenomenal. Sanderson doesn't just write great stories that are legitimately some of the best ever that I've I've ever read, and I see you agree with that as well. But he pumps them out like they're nothing. Yeah, and that's which, the most impress. The most impressive is not just that he produces great books; is that he pre- produces great books at an astonishing rate, and. I can't think of a book that is like a significant drop in quality. Like I have my favorites. Like I, I could rank them. Like oh, I think this one's better than this one, but they're not that far apart. No. Like it's even Sideovers, which is like his 
you know, completely out of his element type thing. Um, and it's co-written with somebody else. It's really good. Like it, it's definitely not Stormlight, but man, it's a solid work. Like I'm, anyway, he writes so much that in fact he wrote novels in secret. Oh, getting into one of my favorite. Oh, I was elated for a whole week uh, when he announced that because I I was sitting at work and I saw the video from Sanderson saying like, oh like, I'm sorry video and I'm just sitting like. Oh, please tell me you didn't diddle a student. Please, for the love of God, I t- please. Don't let this be an apology video. No. no. Not you, Sanderson. Not you. And he was really dramatic about it. It looked like he oh, was yeah. it looked like he was gonna retire. Oh, uh, he's he's a showman, and I'm here for it. If you don't know, what Sanderson did is he released on his YouTube channel a t- a video titled I'm sorry. And he goes in and he just Really drags you in and lays it on, and oh. eventually said, "Tells us that he actually wrote four additional no, novels." No, 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 no. Sorry, I accidentally wrote an additional book <laughs> while I was still writing all these other books and publishing them. I lied. I wrote two additional books, and then just kept boom, boom, boom. Wrote four additional books. Well. Four that will be released. He wrote a fifth. Oh, he did. Yeah, he wrote a fifth that yeah. will probably be turned into a graphic novel. But decided, so this is on top of his already large amount of books that he's already releasing and Not writing. just large amount of books, large page count for those books. So it's yeah. an absurd length for an absurd amount of books, and absurd that he had the time to finish books when no one knew. And those, er, and, no and, those knew. and those books weren't delayed either. Nope. So, And so he decided for next year, 2023, to be the year of Sanderson, where every quarter... You go king. Every quarter, your uh, people who sign up for his Kickstarter will get one of his books starting like January, and you'll get his book, uh, whatever edition you want, you know, audio, uh, physical, or digital, whatever. Yep. And then the months in between, you know, three months after that, you get a loot box, a merch box. If you want to buy that tier, right? Yeah, exactly. There's a tier where you can just get the books, another tier where you can get the books and the loot. Yeah, so every month you get either a book or a box of merch from one of his shows that are exclusive to this whole Kickstarter. Yep. And I was thinking I was only going to get the books, but then I just I had to. So I bought I bought the full the full package. I I, I went all in. <laughs> I I bought just the books because I haven't read all of his series, and it might have been a waste at that point. And I'm hoping. Yeah. I mean, I'll just probably steal yours at some point. Uh, uh, that's yeah, okay. that's fine. I'll, I'll give you a couple. You're not taking, you're not taking my Nightblood uh, letter opener. I'm gonna keep that one. Well, that's mine. I mean, you're gonna let me take it, but <laughs> you gotta go to bed eventually. So, but yeah, that's it's gonna be. I'm I'm a little jealous when those boxes come. You're gonna have this such oh, yeah. a. I'm gonna regret every time a new box comes. Like I should have bought it. I should have bought it. I really should have bought it. Oh. Honestly, that was my my main reason to do it. Is I knew that. People like Daniel Green or other booktubers were gonna like have unopenings, uh, like unopened boxes where they're gonna show the loot, and I would be jealous because I wouldn't get it. Wait, and so that's why we I... could do that on the podcast. Yeah, we could do that. That'd be so cool. Now that just means I would have to have the uh, self control to not open it the second I see it. You're one of those people who gets a 
Chris or gets a gift on Christmas morning and you're trying to see it the night before peeking. Yeah. I was a kid, yeah. yeah. You grew out of it? No, you didn't. <laughs> oh, my 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 just increased apathy has like ah. definitely I, I've forgotten Christmas gifts. Wow. My family almost forgot Christmas. What's a gift when life is meaningless? I mean, I just wanted breakfast. <laughs> I was food. Two food is directions. A, Nah, nah, food is more important. I thought, that, I thought that's a joke you were going with, but oh yeah, breakfast too. <laughs> no, no, that was like, I think two Christmases ago, it was with a family, and like, I remember my mom finally, you know, got out of bed, and, and my dad and I are just making potato pancakes. It's like, do you want to, you want to open gifts? I'm like, yeah, 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 in a minute, we're making potato pancakes here. And <laughs> so that was like most of the days, we were doing potato pancakes, and like, we were making a pie, and we are making like... Uh, honey baked ham we're just having a good time making food and then it was like eight o'clock and then we're like oh i guess we should open gifts now and we opened like half of them the next day so that's very sweet actually it was real it that, was a nice lazy that, day that's that sounds like a sweet morning huh? yeah it's great and yeah so sanderson he's giving us all these gifts well you have to pay for them but <laughs> so well, these these gifts are all coming in the year 2023 right yeah all of them will be there and this kickstarter campaign by the way, which he just started from this video on YouTube, just said, I'm sorry, and then led to showing he wrote these four secret books. It broke the Kickstarter's website's record of all time, and the project at the end of March ended up with 185,000 backers and received just under $42 million in funding. It, it, I think that's four times the highest? At least, I, I'd assume so. And that's, that's $42 million for books that are being released that no not one via the... a publisher mind you it's not like yeah. you, it's not the traditional publishing route of going to tour or orbit or so forth would you say that this move right here changed the publishing game in your opinion yes and no so uh actually sanderson did a little breakdown and a couple others that made it it was kind of interesting you think 40, 40 something million dollars for books? Like, oh my god, this is must be one of his biggest hits ever. Yeah, not really. It's about in line with his, some. It doesn't actually uh, beat the uh, a Stormlight book oh, through wow. traditional publishing. So Amazon and other traditional pub bookstores actually produce more and they'll sell more books that ah. way. And the margins may be better for uh, the Kickstarter. But it just does not reach the same volume. Okay. So the people that are backing them on Kickstarter are the people who are extreme fans. Like, yes. Yeah, they're, they're willing to go out of their... So people, the, it's two groups of people. People who already do use Kickstarter and are willing to use it again. And they're not, you know, they don't have to do anything new. They just back it. And fans of his that are such big fans are willing to back, like go through this whole new system and back a Kickstarter, which was, that was the first time I ever backed a Kickstarter. And I don't think I'd do it for anyone else other than Sanderson. First time for me as well. So, but those are the extreme fans. Yep. Who would already buy a book through traditional publishing. Got it. What so traditional publishing is to those is other a, people. There's a ah. bunch of people that read regular Sanderson books, but are not willing to back a Kickstarter, go through this whole other system where they would rather just like order books on Amazon. So, Trying to get someone to go to a new platform is very, very difficult. Right. So it's 
the thing that it possibly changes is the fact that Sanderson didn't just release four new books. He released different level tiers of those books. Mm. So instead of just a hard copy, a mass paperback, and you know the ebook eventually um he's offering ebook audiobook a uh extremely luxury fancy edition of it um and then merch on top of that that are connected to books in the series um event then on top of for his other books he does the leather bound edition so basically he's Adding, if you want to spend more money on his books, you can. If you want to spend less, you can. So he just basically is providing more options, which he's asked Tor and other pub- his other publishers to offer more levels in between. So offer a higher, a super high quality, expensive version of the book, but also offer the cheap version and the middle version. Like, basically... If you want to spend more money, you can, and okay. you should let them. And I don't see why publishers would deny more money. <laughs> well, it means per- the margins are lower. Oh, for the publishers. Yeah, so it, it costs a lot of money to gotcha. produce those high-end books, and the margins are Fair. L- you make quite a bit, and uh, it, the math, basically. It, okay. I, I have, I'm not able to break it down just off the top of my head, but basically those higher books con- are... Um, They'll compensate you for the lower end books. I see, I see. Yeah. And that that whole Kickstarter thing was his second Kickstarter. The first he had this Way of Kings leather bound tenth anniversary. I will eventually edition. get one. We must like, uh, eventually. Well, if you have access, tell me where you're buying it because I will get one as well. It, well, this, they're gonna restock. They should. They should. And that also broke records at the time as well. So mm. he's he's got a fan base that is behind him one hundred percent, and we are here for him. You're talking to two of his, I can't say biggest fans. I'm sure there's bigger fans yeah. out there, but we admire you, Sanderson. He's, I'm, I'm talking to you, Sanderson. <laughs> like, he's here. So it's just what he's done in the publishing realm and Kickstarter realm is fantastic. And he also does things outside of that. Like, he has a Dragon Steel Con where which by the way the way he got published he went to a convention and met an editor so him he, him himself he created his own con where a bunch of authors and editors can all come and enjoy books and talks and just a whole a whole event which we must go to are we in agreement i i would love to okay. i think it'd be if we're at a certain point i would love to like kind of a live stream that like just kind of log it all right, that's ambitious, but <laughs> that that would be very cool. I, I gotta have ambitions for you know. I gotta reach high for them to fall, and at least you can't say you didn't set your goals. You exactly, know? you set yeah. something. I, I mean, set something, yeah. and then I feel sad about not completing it. But sadness comes from trying. Uh, eat, pray, love. <laughs> Back to the potato <laughs> pancakes. Here we go. <laughs> so he has that, and on top of that, he has two podcasts that I know of. The first yeah. made in 2008 called Writing Excuses. And that is with, it started with Dan Wells. And in his first couple episodes, you had Howard Taylor, who is his cartoon, cartoon artist. And I'm not sure if it's his. I think he has a whole, mm-hmm. he's his own person. So yeah. 
it, writing excuses, which are short, like 10, usually 15 minute episodes where they talk about how they brainstorm or do this or do that just to help out people and talk about how they go about their methods. And then also podcast came out in 2021 called Intentionally Blank with Dan Wells, who you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. who writes some good horror books from what I understand. Maybe yeah, we should I, try out his books. I, I would like to read his books. I'm not much of a horror guy, but I mean, friend of Brandon Sanderson, probably pretty good. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was a friend of mine, no? No. I'm your friend. I don't... You're not, you're you not Dan have, Wells' friend? No, <laughs> no you, you don't have important people as friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan Wells and him created Intentionally Blank. Those are longer form, 40, 45 minutes, where they just talk about whatever. Which, okay, the funniest thing is, during those podcasts, he signed all the books that he... Like the leather-bound <laughs> editions that he has signed copies. He spends that podcast signing the books. Sanderson so that's has how mastered time efficiency. Oh, yeah. To the point Brilliant. where he... You'll see from his video of the Kickstarter, he has a pie chart of, this is the time I spend with my family. This is the time I travel. This is the time I write. And the thing is, when he wrote more books during COVID, his time with the family increased. What a man. Because, what a man. Because he just... There was no travel. So he wrote more and spent more time with family. So this... He has like three children, a wife... A castle? He lives in a castle. He, he has stained glass windows in his house. He deserves that stained glass window. Uh, he deserves that castle. Oh, he has 100%. a movie theater room. He deserves it. If you write stories like that, take your castle king. Take it. I love that man. And so he has podcasts, Kickstarters, Dragon Con. His own, his own type of publishing company where yeah. he Dragon handles- Steel Entertainment. Yeah. So Wait, did I know? Was that their company, I believe? Uh, Dragon Steel Books, I think. Books, are, yeah. But... But no, he, he created a company so that all the stuff that surrounds being an author, which takes time out of the writing process, you know, yeah. the whole publishing and advertising and a bunch of other stuff that goes along to actually getting a book published, basically create a company so that other people can kind of do that for him so he can focus all of his time on writing so he can just be the most efficient writer Love possible. Yeah. He's such an inspiration. Yeah. He really is. And... All of that that we listed? Oh, yeah. go ahead. I see. We haven't gotten to it, but I just want to say a large part of why we started this podcast was hopefully to get big enough to eventually interview Brandon Sanderson. That, was that the is the ultimate goal. Reason. That is the, the ultimate goal of this entire endeavor. This is a con to get to Sanderson. <laughs> <laughs> that, I didn't think yeah. you got the ruse out that early. Nah, <laughs> it's the long con. It's the open long con. That's what it is. Exactly. And, and oh, we love this man so much. It, all of that that we mentioned, his mm-hmm. phenomenal books, his podcast, his Dragon Con, Dragon Steel Entertainment, which, by the way, he has like 30-plus employees as well. It's, yeah. it's great. And other charities. Uh, Personally, to me, the impact he's had on me does not uh, comes from the books, phenomenal. All this phenomenal. The biggest impact from Brandon Sanderson is are his lecture series. I actually haven't seen too many of them. Well, you and the yeah. audience should see them. If you're interested in writing – if you'll, and especially people who get past chapter four, unlike me, you'll really love him. Sanderson, the the greatest contribution I believe he's had to the to his legacy so far is his teaching at BYU, which he took a class at BYU, which he found was foundational and it changed everything, and it was the most important class he took. And when the teacher retired, they asked him to take the position, and he did. He's been teaching since like mid-2000s up until today, so 15-ish years or so. And 
it, this is his quote. He said, that class was the single most valuable class I took my entire career at BYU. And you can see all of these lecture series on YouTube. Have you seen any? You I've seen a few. Them? You've seen a few. On YouTube, he has, from every year, you can actually see him get older, and it's a little sad. <laughs> like, I imagine one day we'll see him with gray hair. Oh, no, I, I can't even think about it. Oh, but it, you can see it. He's going to be around for a while. He will. He will. And you can see just year after year, the different lecture series, the different lectures he gives to a class at BYU is all online, and you could see them. They're an hour plus, and they're phenomenal. If you want to learn how to write or what goes on his head, there are entire episodes that, and lessons dedicated to characters world building, how to get published, why writing groups are phenomenal, all this stuff. And some of the biggest, I just want to go over some of the biggest things I learned. I'm not going to say what Sanderson's saying, but this is why you should get a lecture, lecture series. But the way he breaks down a book, there's a lot of ways you can read Save the Cat and look, this is how you structure a book. You can read, there, there's a bunch of novels out there on how to write a novel and so forth. He breaks it down so simply into its promise, progress, payoff. And doing that kind of just sat back and went, yeah, you promise the reader something, you progress to the payoff. You can really put it that simply, and he dives deeper and whatnot. That's one of the main things he said. Also, the way he broke down abstract versus concrete concepts, where abstract, if I say dog to you, you and I are going to think of different dogs. You could think of a, a poodle. I could be thinking of a Yorkshire Terrier. You could be mm-hmm. thinking of a German. When you say dog, it's so abstract because your reader's thinking of different things versus you make it concrete like a a – uh, a po- tiny miniature poodle covered in mud whimpering on the side of the road. We're imagining practically the same thing. And yeah. so the way he says to implement these in your writing is phenomenal. And his world building lessons, he discusses how to best revise. And he says that writing groups, by the way, are the most fundamental thing. So much advice. I'm just going to leave it there. Go watch his lecture series and you part, will not Part of an it. addition to his kind of legacy as a writer and author for the community is one of his students in that class actually is, I really like his books a lot. Like I, oh. Which book it's, is that? That is the Powder Mage. Um, this was Powder Sanderson's student. Yeah, Brian McClellan. He was Love in one that. of his classes. And so he actually has two trilogies out now. He's working on a completely uh, separate uh, series in a different different world. So... If you like, if you're here, you already really like Sanderson, but you haven't read, but you want something that scratches your Sanderson itch, and you're out of Sanderson books, Brian McCollum. Like you can tell the inspiration from Sanderson, but it is his own thing. So, I mean, gun like gunpowder magic, just so cool. And I he took his lecture series. Is what you're saying? Yeah, he was. At, he was in the class. Physically. He was in the class of BYU. Awesome. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. So it, it seems like it's working. Yeah, his his influence is huge. Oh, I can't forget to mention he also changed the way a lot of writers talk about magic systems because mm-hmm. he popularized. He didn't create the terms, but popularized hard versus soft magic. I can't believe we're talking about this last. <laughs> yeah, it's the last thing we're mentioning, but it, th- this was very <laughs> fundamental to what he's done. Is he's hard versus soft magic is he's popularized those terms and showed to it, it now it's pretty ubiquitous everyone talks about hard versus soft magic and of course his legendary three laws of magic which broken down real quick is an author author's ability to solve conflict with magics directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic number two is weaknesses limits and costs are more interesting than the powers themselves 
So when you have a, mm-hmm. a you have the ring in Lord of the Rings, the more interesting thing is that the bad guys can see you and you can go insane over time and all the bad things that happen rather than, oh, it's cool that you go invisible and that you can have certain powers. However, the cooler thing is, oh, the cost and the limits that it creates to the story. Well, for the most part in the Lord of the Rings, you do not get to see the actual abilities of the ring. The ring can do so much more than what is ever shown in the book. For Frodo, yeah. And it's just that kind of looming threat of if it's in the wrong hands, it could do so much. But you never get to see the cool powers. You see... Definition. Almost exclusively the limitations. Hey, Lord of the Rings is definition of a soft magic system as well. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, the author should expand on what's already a part of the magic system, not add a bunch of things. So don't have like a thousand elements. Really delve deep and explain certain things about your magic system. And there's the zeroth law, the one that is law zero, not one, two, or three, but always err on the side of what's awesome. I think we'll end it there. If you uh, liked our kind of deep dive into uh, Brandon Sanderson, you want us to talk about a different author or a uh, movie director, uh, please let us know down in the comments where you can uh, like, share, subscribe, all those wonderful things on our podcast and any other format you get to watch or listen in. We'll see you next week. You know, I'm going to ruin it. I was, You're going to ruin no, it? I want to say bye. I just all I wanted to say was bye. I wanted my last words to be always up there on the side of what's awesome. But I want to say bye. Can I say bye? You know what? You get to edit this. You can do what you like. Oh, I could edit this out. This conversation. You totally could. Yeah. Let's see if I do. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.